Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Here's a secret. If you like this episode, you can get show notes, sometimes even transcripts of it. Just go to recovergirlnewsletter.com and sign up. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? So we're going. Cool. Um, thank you so much for... Oh, by the way, you're listening to Recover Girl, the podcast formerly known as After Party Pod. I am your host, Anna David. I am terribly excited both to have a new name, which you can find out more about this podcast by going to recovergirl.biz, B-I-Z. And I'm also just as excited to have my guest sitting here on my couch. I was going to say with my cat, but she moved. <laughs> I've got I've got James Swanick here. Hello, Anna. How are you? I'm excellent. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. I, I nearly sat on your poor cat, Lily, so I apologize for that. You really did. <laughs> but she gets underfoot. That's what a cat does, is they get underfoot. And I, I think she kind of had a crush. Oh, well, that's nice. That's yeah, good. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, it's a good reason. So she was just kind of hovering around you. <laughs> um, so we originally first, m- quote, met through... Um, Darren Dambra. Darren. Yes. And you were a guest on my podcast. And years ago. Show, yeah. Like a year and a bit ago. Yeah. We talked about um, recovery and things like that. Yeah. Yes. So tell my listeners who may not be familiar with you about yourself. Well, as you can hear, I'm a funny talker. So I'm from Australia. Yes. Grew up in Brisbane, Australia. Went and lived in, in England for about four years. I did something really stupid and I fell in love with a British woman who broke my heart. Yeah. And I was devastated at that breakup, so I got on a plane and flew to Los Angeles in 2003, and I didn't know whether I was going to turn left or right out of the airport, and I ended up living in a hostel for 90 nights. and then Also called a hostel. A hostel, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're already making fun of my pronunciation. Um, was it a hostile hostel? It was a hostile <laughs> hostel, but you can imagine I was in a bunk bed with like other snoring backpackers paying $15 a night. But I realized I really wanted to live in this country, in the US, so I figured out a way to get a work visa and then a green card and so forth. And I've been here here ever since. Um, uh, you know, I used, to, I used to be a social drinker. I, mm-hmm. I don't, didn't really never consider myself an alcoholic, so, but I quit alcohol in 2010. And since then, I've had pretty big transformation in my life and health and clarity and the way I see the world. So back when you were drinking, you were uh, you were a reporter on e- is it ESPN? Yeah, I was a Sports Center anchor on ESPN. So I was the guy that would say, "Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Sports Center. Tonight we go to etc. and we talk about NFL and Champions League soccer and all that kind of stuff." And let's just say you were a little like puffier. Yeah, <laughs> you looked entirely different. I looked entirely different. In fact, why don't I? P- I'll pull up the photo here. Yeah, I. Look, I grew up in an Australian culture where drinking was the norm, right? Yep. It was it was accepted. And over the years, 
I put on a few pounds. Mm-hmm. It just crept up on yes, me. one does, yeah. And it wasn't just the drinking. It wasn't like the calories from the drinking. It was the crap food that I was eating as I was drinking. Yeah. It was the late night Carl's Jr. burger. Yes. In fact, I remember I used to go to the Jones Bar on Santa Monica Boulevard. Love that place. In 2000, like 2005 through 2010. And on the way home in my place in Hollywood, I'd have to drive past the Carl's Jr. burger. <laughs> and there were many nights where I went into the drive through there and I ordered like whatever the burgers were and the fries. And then I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up not only feeling like I had a little bit of a hangover, but then I'd have little bits of ketchup on my shirt and all these calories. So, to come back to your certain point, like was I a bit puffier? Hell yeah, I was. I put on like 28 pounds. Yeah. I was wow. 28 pounds heavier than what I am now. Right. And it wasn't that I was fat. No. Or I consider myself fat. It was just that I was puffy, like you said. I was, um, you know, you could see it in my face. Like uh, my cheekbones weren't as pronounced. I had bags right. under my eyes. I was just, the word I use is weathered. I looked yeah. weathered. Yeah, in your 20s. Yeah. Well, uh, this was actually in my, in my 30s. I'm okay. 40, 41 now. And then if- you know, now we're sitting on your sofa and, and chatting. I look vastly different to when I was yeah. you know, drinking and eating that food and 28 pounds heavier. Well, yeah. I mean, I know um, freshman 15 or freshman 50 in my case at college was not that I was drinking keg beer, but that I was ordering pizza every yeah. night at 2 a.m. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, and it's like we, not only when you quit alcohol do you not put those dead calories in your system, but you also don't want to have the fries. You actually don't want to have the late night kebab. Mm, I do. <laughs> well, you're but less I'm glad inclined. You don't. You're less inclined. You're, you know, you have the self-control idea. Yes. Now, you, yeah. okay, but let's just say you are an unusual guest for this podcast because you are not an alcoholic. Right. You are a man who decided his life would be better if he quit drinking and now you show other people how to do that. That's right. Yeah, I was never an alcoholic. I was I was the guy that would have a beer and a glass of wine after work each day. Um, sometimes if I met up with friends, I might go out to Jones Bar, like I said, and maybe. Do you I- remember the lemon drops there? Did you ever have those? No, I never. Huge had those. part of my drinking. Really, the lemon drops at Jones. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd go to the bar and I'd have a couple beers or I'd have a red wine and maybe sometimes I'd have a gin and tonic and I might just you know vary it, but rarely did I get drunk. Yeah. Um, but I drank enough that. I didn't sleep very well. Mm-hmm. And then when I woke up wake up in the morning, I felt just a little bit irritable and a little bit tired. And because I had the late night Carl's Jr. burger, I'd wake up feeling sluggish and I'd put on a few pounds. There were times that I got drunk. Mm-hmm. Like when I first moved here, I moved to Hollywood, I got to go to the Playboy Mansion, for example, mm-hmm. and there was open bar. I'm mm-hmm. like, take me to the open bar. I'm at right. the Playboy Mansion and right. I would drink heavily and I would get drunk, but it was all in good fun. Right. It wasn't like I needed to do it. It was just like, there's an open bar. Take me to it. Yeah. Let's have fun. Yeah. I go to the MTV Movie Awards. I got to go to like an Oscars after party, like Elton John's party once. There's open right. bar. I'm like celebrating. Yes. Right. But they were more like special occasions where I'd have fun versus like I need to go out and get smashed every night or I need a drink to help me with my stress levels. Right. I never felt like I needed to drink, but I was drinking enough that I woke up one day in 2007 and realized, wow, I put on. 28 pounds slowly over a couple of years. I was feeling tired and irritable. I was looking weathered. I did have a puffy face. Um, I wasn't as happy as I could have been. My friendships and my relationships were eh, like six out of 10 maybe that I might might consider them. I just felt kind of like mediocre in every way. And that was really like the catalyst for me taking 
a 30-day break to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so literally that day was no different than any other. You just woke up with a sort of new understanding or awareness. I'll tell you where I was. I was in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd flown in on a Friday night uh, to go to the, the South by Southwest Festival. Mm-hmm. And I went out to a party, an industry party, and I had two drinks only, two drinks, two Bombay Sapphire gin and tonics. That was it. And they were free, free bar. Not enough to get drunk. I wasn't drunk. I went home that night. I went to sleep in a hotel 20 minutes outside of Austin, and I woke up the next morning, and I had a hangover just from two drinks. And it was probably because I was flying in the plane from LA to Austin the night before. I was dehydrated. I'd had a couple drinks, and I just felt ordinary. Anyway, there was an international house of pancakes right next door, an IHOP, right next door to this hotel. So I go in there for breakfast, and I'm sitting in this IHOP, and I remember looking around, and there were these people who were eating all-you-can-eat pancakes with whipped cream and maple syrup. The menus on IHOP have these big bright colors of bacon and eggs and like pancakes. And it, and I just felt hungover and I felt ordinary. And that's when I realized, I'm like, what is this drinking really doing for me? Like, what what is the benefit? I feel like i got a hang- hangover. I'm in a, an IHOP where I don't want to be. I'm in 20 minutes on the outside of Austin. I, the, the, I looked out the window, I was like on the side of a highway, like where this hotel and this, and this IHOP was, it was on the side of a, of a dark and gray kind of view. And I went, James, enough is enough. Like, mm-hmm. do you really just want to live like this mediocre, you want to have this feeling of mediocrity your whole life? And so I committed there sitting in the IHOP. I said, I'm just going to see if I can go 30 days without drinking, just 30 days and see how I feel. Let's just test it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I did. And that was in 2007. No. That was 2010. It was seven years ago and one week ago as we're recording this. Ah, happy and anniversary. It, thank you. And you said, did you think it was going to be hard to stop for 30 days? Yeah, of course I did. I thought it was going to be hard. And so what was that like at first? Do, do you remember your original temptations? Well, I remember I was at a festival, South by Southwest yeah. Festival, where there are parties going on yep. every night. Yep. And so I remember that Saturday night I went out and I and there was an open bar. Yeah. It was like I could go in and get a Bud Light. I can go in and get a glass of wine. I can go in and get a Bombay Sapphire Gin and Tonic. So I remember that first night thinking, oh, it'd be so easy just to say, give me a beer right now. But instead I ordered a soda water or a Diet Coke at the time. Um, years later I would cut out the Diet Coke. But I remember at the time it was like Diet Coke, Diet Coke, Diet, yeah, Diet yeah. Coke. And um, yeah, it was. I had a temptations, but I just said I'd already committed. I said I'm going to do 30 days, and I think the the fact that I put a stop on it, that it was only going to be 30 days, that made it easier for me yeah. to commit to not drinking that night. Yeah. And then over the first week, I remember <laughs> it's so funny. I remember going back to Jones Bar, and I had a date with this girl called Andrea, lovely girl. We're still friendly to this day, and I and I went to Jones Bar. 10 minutes before she was due to get there. And I said to the barman, I said, there's a girl that's going to come here. Um, when I order her a drink and I order a drink for myself, can you give me like soda water, ice and a piece of lime and make it look like it's a vodka soda, even right. though it's a, it's a soda? Right. Because I'm not drinking at the moment. He said, sure, mate, sure, I'll do that. And so Andrea mm. came for the date and we had a few drinks. She had wine and mm-hmm. I had what she thought was vodka soda. And I remember being so embarrassed to tell her that I wasn't drinking right. because of the social stigma around it. Fast forward, you know, we ended up dating. Six weeks later, we were at the Coachella Festival in um, Palm Springs and I'm with her friends and one of her friends says, oh, James, I'm going to the bar to get a drink. Do you want, what, what do you want? Should I get you a beer? He goes, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I don't drink. I've stopped drinking. And Andrea said, that's not true. You were drinking. You drink. You were drinking on our on our first date. 
And I kind of had to sheepishly say, oh, actually, I, I wasn't. I wasn't drinking. I was just drinking soda water. She said, so you, you tricked me. And I said, yeah, yeah, I felt a bit awkward, so I'm sorry. She got so angry, like I had lied to her or manipulated her. In I a way. totally had yeah. lied. I was totally at fault. Um, but I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. Right? And so she couldn't get over this. We broke up two weeks later. Um, and I, that was a big lesson for me, which was like, don't try and hide the fact that you're not drinking. Yeah. Just own it. Be confident in it. Yeah. And present it because- you know, when you hide that from people, you're essentially lying. And when you're lying, you're, the other person doesn't feel good about that. It's ironic then that you became somebody who really advocates for people trying to stop drinking. I know. It's crazy. Wait, in those six weeks, mm. you were also kind of just going along, pretending? No, I did with her because that was the first time that I'd really asked a woman out yeah. on a date and then put myself in an environment with someone I kind of didn't know. That I would share, that I would share with, right? That I would share that I wasn't drinking with, even though ironically I didn't share share yeah. it with her. Um, but I did tell my friends. Yeah. I told my friends, and I had this one friend called Zach, and he's he's such an idiot. I mean, I love him to death, but he was an idiot. Zach is one of my listeners. <laughs> and um, he was like, "Oh, you're not drinking, right?" I go, "No, I'm not drinking." He said, "What do you want?" I said, "I'll take a soda yeah. water." And he'd go off to the bar, and he'd come back and yeah. give me the soda water, and he'd put vodka in. Yeah, it. yeah. And I remember putting it up, and I almost went to sip it, and then at the last minute, I looked at him. I could see he had a funny look on his face. I said, "Did you put vodka in this?" And he goes, oh, "Yeah, I did." I'm like, "You are a douche! Like, yeah. why would you do that?" So people still wanted to try and like yeah. get me to do it, even though I didn't want to do it. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know about your sort of view on all of that before you stopped, but you kind of, I know, I didn't even understand that people would not want to drink. I thought everybody went to the bar and did shots and then looked for the Coke dealer. I had no <laughs> idea people were just walking in and like, here, have a glass of wine, maybe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think we surround ourselves with people who are like that. I have the weirdest thing to tell you. Mm. My first book, Party Girl, mm. That's what the character does. She drinks. She, I can't remember the exact drink because I wrote it so long ago. Mm. But she goes to Jones and pretends to drink. Well, this is I, great advertising for Jones Bar, isn't it? Right? <laughs> right? But that was like the den of iniquity for me. I did so much damage in that place. But how weird is that that that's where you did that and that I wrote that? Um, unbelievable. I know. Wow. I know. I'm going to give you a copy so that you can <laughs> see you. I'm telling you the truth. Thank you. Um, now, so then after 30 days- mm. You say, you know what? This feels kind of good. I lost 13 pounds in 30 days. Yeah. Right. I, I got on the scales when I started in the hotel and, and I got on the scales at day 30 back in my place in LA and I'd lost 13 pounds just from stop, stopping drinking. Mm -hmm. I, I realized I was sleeping better. Mm -hmm. I realized I was more productive. Not a huge amount in 30 days, but enough to be noticeable. Mm -hmm. Um. That puffy look that I that we were talking about and in my face, um, it started to go down a little bit. Mm. I noticed also after 30 days that I had started to attract what I would consider a higher caliber of friend into yep. my life. Not that my friends weren't high you had caliber. Zach. I mean, come <laughs> on. I know I had Zach trying to give me, trying to slip vodka into my drink. But I realized I was I was starting to meet people who were more health conscious. Yeah. Right? I don't think it was any coincidence that I met a new friend who was into going to the gym and he was a member of LA Fitness up on Sun on Hollywood Boulevard there next to Chinese Man Theater. And he invited me to go to the gym and I hadn't worked out or lifted weights in years. Like, 
And so I started going to LA Fitness. So then I started hanging out with this guy whose name was Tanner. And um, and then he introduced me to someone else called Jake who was into bodybuilding. And then I started hanging out with him and he started talking about diet and nutrition. And the conversations that I was having went from, let's go to the bar and have a few drinks. And, you know, the, who's the, the bron- who are the Broncos playing this weekend in the NFL to... Uh, paleo. Let's talk about paleo eating. Let's talk about like building your biceps. Let's talk about like, have you heard this thing CrossFit that's that's coming out? So those kind of conversations started to be more into like the health and fitness area and the positivity things. Um, so at the end of 30 days, I was like, you know what? I feel so damn good. Think this is very interesting. I'm going to like keep going. I'll see if I can get to 40 days. And I got to 40 days and I went, man, I feel really good. Then I got to 60. Then I got to 90 and then I started to think to myself, I wonder if I could do one year, like just one year of not doing it. I wonder if I could see what that would feel like. And that's exactly what I did. I got to a year. I was back in Austin at the South by Southwest Festival. Mm. I went into the Luster Pearl Bar on Rainy Street and I ordered a Budweiser to go and celebrate a year. I put it to my mouth and something stopped me right at the last minute where I thought for a second. I went, you know what? All the benefits I've got from not drinking this year far outweigh any temporary pleasure that I'm going to get. From having this beer so i put the beer down and i ordered a water and i literally haven't picked up a uh, picked up a drink since yeah and do you credit that to willpower uh or do you really just think it was you felt so much better combination of a few things there was a little there was certainly willpower involved in those first 30 days because you're breaking a habit Mm -hmm. and i had the habit of going to a bar to relieve stress going to a bar to socialize with friends. But now you have to create a new habit of socializing with friends that doesn't involve alcohol, mm. right? So that, so that took willpower to change that habit. Um, certainly as the benefits started to appear, it became a lot, I needed less willpower. Yeah. It was just like, oh, I stopped drinking, I lose 13 pounds, I look better. Okay, cool, this makes sense. I'll just double down on this. Yeah. Um, Oh, this is interesting. I'm now got muscles coming through my body because I've been working out. Oh, that looks good. Women are looking at me slightly differently now. I'm attracting a higher caliber of woman because I'm feeling more confident. All right, I'll just double down on that. And then another thing were just little habit tricks that I put in. Like, for example, I removed alcohol from my from my home. <laughs> I just removed the side of it. Um, in, when I went to Trader Joe's, which is a grocery store here in California, instead of going clockwise around the grocery store to do my shopping, which made sure that I always walked past the the, the beer and the liquor mm-hmm. area, I would go anti-clockwise <laughs> and finish coming down one of the aisles that, was, um, that wasn't against the wall where all the liquor was. So all I did was I just removed the visual cue of alcohol so I didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't thinking about it, I was less likely to want to buy it. So I instilled that habit. Um, and then also I, I instilled two more habits in my brain when I went to a bar because I didn't stop going to bars. Yeah. And the habit was that whenever I walk in, I was the first thing I was going to do was I was going to walk directly to the bar and order. A, at the time, it was a Diet Coke, mm-hmm. right? So I said from now on in, whenever I walk into any bar or any pub or anything like that, I'm just going to go confidently up to the bar and repeat these words and say, hello, I'd like a Diet Coke, please. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Just don't even think about what you're going to order. Just say Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. Years later, it's now changed to water ice and a piece of lime or a soda water. Um, That way I wasn't scared of the bar. It wasn't like, 
I was going to walk in and go, oh, I can't go to the bar because what happens if I order a beer or I order a gin and tonic? It's like, no, I'm going to just attack the very thing yep. that has alcohol, but I'm going to say, give me a water ice, a piece Before of Before you even think about it. Before I even think about it. Yeah. And then the last thing was um, I said to myself, I'm just going to commit to having the most fun of anyone in this bar. I'm going to be the most social. I'm going to have the biggest smile. I'm going to introduce myself to the most people. I'm going to connect people. I'm going to have the most fun of anyone in this bar or while only drinking Diet Coke or soda water and a piece of lime. And just those little mental habits that I instilled early on, uh, you know, ensured that I didn't have to rely on brute willpower alone. Mm -hmm. And when did you decide that you wanted to sort of coach other people into doing this? Yeah, so I, I didn't. I didn't drink, um, you know, I stopped drinking in 2010. And then all of these people, would, uh, you know, people who did drink would always ask me, is it true that you don't drink? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Or someone told me that you don't drink. Is that true? Were you an alcoholic? Like, were you an alcoholic? And I've always had to say, no, I wasn't an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I just made a lifestyle choice. And this was perplexing to so many people mm-hmm. because people associate good times or stress release with alcohol. And so I was always very curious about, you know, why people found it so so interesting. Later on, I created my own podcast, The James Swanick Show. I got on hosting a television show, Sports Center, on ESPN. And so people asked me even more, like, why do you do this? It was so interesting to them. So what happened was I was in the Andaz Hotel on Sunset Boulevard with a friend of mine called Mark Dharma. And I was saying this to him. I said, I always find it so interesting that people are so interested about the fact that I don't drink. I said, maybe I should like create a program um, for people like the social drinker who knows they want to cut back, but they don't know how to do it. And he said, oh, that's a great idea. So I went up, I got a napkin and as many great business ideas mm. I created, I got a pen and we wrote down like, you know what I'll do? I'll create like 30 videos, um, 30 tips on how to not drink for 30 days and I'll send it to people what, you know, each day of the 30 days and I'll create a program and then I'll create like a private Facebook group and People can go in the fa- private Facebook group and they can connect with other people who are quitting their uh, quitting alcohol. Let's just, that's what I'll do. I'll just do it and just see what happens. And ironically, 30 days later, I launched it. Just a really crappy little- Oh little, my God, that's fast. Yeah. yeah. Had you ever launched a product before? Uh, I'd written a little ebook before, but mm-hmm. never like a proper program. Mm-hmm. But I just literally, this thing that I'm showing you right here, it's called an iPhone. The first 30 pieces of content I just recorded on my iPhone. Wow, okay. And I just like, hello, welcome to day one of the challenge. Here's what you're going to say tonight when people are encouraging you to have a drink. And it was like a little crappy five-minute video. And then the next day it was, hello, welcome to day two of the challenge. Here's how you resist the urge to have a drink. This is what uh, this is what you're gonna, this is how you're going to set up your home for non-drinking. You're going to remove the wine. You're going to get rid of the beer. If you are going to keep alcohol in the house, you're going to put it at the back of the fridge and you're going to hide it with groceries in front of it. Or you're going to put the bottle of wine that you keep at eye level in your pantry. You're going to take it out and stick it in your garage and stick it in a really hard to reach place. That way, you have to really work to get the drink, which is going to make you think more about etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. And so I just banged it out and then launched it, and people started to. How did you get the word out about? It? just shouted from the rooftops. I went on my Facebook. I went on my Twitter. Um, I told as many people as I could. I just kind of like screamed and said, hey, I'm doing this. It's 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge. Did you do a webinar? I didn't do a webinar. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was actually, now that I have learned all this online marketing stuff, I can look back and go, wow, it was really a poor launch than what I did. Right. It was simply, I created a basic website. I put, I started typing it out on Facebook 
and my personal page. I didn't even have like a, a fan, fan page, page or anything. And I just said like, hey, if you know anyone who wants to reduce alcohol, I've created this program. Um, share, please share it with them. Mm-hmm. And people did and they started to trickle in. And then it's been like two years now, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then over time, then I started doing fancier things like Facebook posts and getting becoming guests on other people's shows mm-hmm. like this one. Like this one. And I think this is going to be so interesting to people because I think there are so many people who who listen to this who think, do I need to stop drinking? I mean, they're drawn to this podcast, mm. so they're somewhat interested in it, but maybe they're like, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. And I think your message is such a vital one, this idea that you just stopped and that you just felt so much better. Yeah. And it wasn't some punishment and there was no label and no stigma. I mean, you felt a little bit of a stigma. Um, mm. yeah, I, I, here's the thing. Uh, I know definitively that I was not, and am not a, an alcoholic and I've, I've never been, I've never pretended that I have all of the medical science and like the experience to be able to help someone who medicine might say you're an alcoholic, yeah. right? Like, because I wasn't one. How can I, how can I teach someone on that? My experience was I was a social drinker mm-hmm. and I drank enough that it held me back in life. Mm-hmm. It didn't cause me like severe pain and, and, and suffering, but it caused me pain and suffering enough to hold me back in life. Um, part of the problem for me was, uh, or part of the, the, the issue for me was, I didn't want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go there and say, hi, my name's James and I'm an alcoholic. Right, because you didn't think you were one. I didn't think I was. And I thought that saying that would be completely incongruent with what I what my belief was, and I know now know since I've launched this program um, that there are thousands and thousands of people out there who don't want to go and say hi, my name's Anna, I'm an alcoholic, yeah. or hi, I'm James, or hi, I'm John, and people who've gone and done it, it hasn't worked for them. Now I'm please, I'm not saying that Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't work. Of course it works. It's helped yeah. thousands of people around the hundreds world, of thousands. hundreds yeah. of thousands, millions probably. But I don't understand that world, right? Yeah. I only understand my experience right. with it. And I think why my 30-day No Alcohol Challenge program has found like a, a community of people and that really like it is because some of those people don't want to actually say that they're an alcoholic or they really just are not ones. Yeah. But, the, but there's like a, there's a gap. It's yeah. like, well, if I'm not an alcoholic, what am I? And yeah. What's the alternative? I am an alcoholic? Right, right. Well, no, maybe you're just a social drinker that and it's just crept, your drinking's crept up on you and you can cut it back. And you. So I think, um, you know, there are people out there who, who don't feel like they're an alcoholic, but they also don't know what to do yeah. to reduce or quit alcohol. It is interesting that there are, there are not uh, other things like this yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, there are a few rehabs that I know of. There's a place called Alternative and I, alternatives uh treatment and i had the owner on here and but it's and it's to teach you moderate drinking Mm. so that exists and then i have a friend who just opened a place where they treat alcoholism with pot wow extremely controversial Mm. but it but i don't actually know of anything like yours do you no i think i I I aimed at social drinkers yeah where where, yeah no i don't know of any and i think i think why mine is popular is because i don't say quit drinking yeah i just say quit drinking for 30 days yeah and then after that you can decide what you want to do and how much does the program cost 
So it's sixty-seven dollars mm-hmm. um, a month. So if it's sixty-seven dollars, you can do it, and then you can just quit on the recurring one on the on mm-hmm. the monthly membership. You, that's enough for you to just do the program. Sixty-seven dollars. So it's just enough that people are investing in themselves, and mm-hmm. that makes them want to do it. But it's not so much that it's prohibitive. If you want to stay in the in the program, the ongoing program is sixty-seven dollars a month, and you get. Um, a live call every week. So uh, a one-hour live call where I come on and I answer questions, I hold you accountable. Other members can communicate with one another um, and you can do that for as long as you like. Because some people after 30 days, they say, I want to keep going. Like I, I want to, and I keep wanting ongoing support. So I give them that opportunity to do How so. How long was the longest anyone's ever stayed? Well, there's, <laughs> well, it's been going two years and I have... Um, there's a woman called Shakira who very proudly announced the other day that she was on day 400 and something or other. Mm-hmm. There's another guy called James uh, in Ireland who I think is on like a year and a half as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people stay that long. I'm just looking in my book here. There's, but there's a. There's and so a- you have a book called The 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge, which people can get on Amazon and also on your website. Yeah, thirty day no alcohol challenge dot com. And yeah. and uh, does every is that a part of the program? You get a copy. Of yeah. That? So this is a free book. It's a, actually at thirty day no alcohol challenge dot com forward slash book, and mm-hmm. that can get that gives you the free book. You just pay a little bit of shipping. I think it's like four dollars ninety five for it to, to ship out to there. That's not the official program. If you want to do the official program, then you can just go to thirty day no alcohol challenge dot com. Mm-hmm. And if you want the book, thirty day no alcohol challenge dot com forward slash book, um, and. You know, it's got people's stories in there, people who've done it and gone through it. And pe- some people have, like, lost 30 pounds. Other people have reconnected to their um, to their spouse. So, mm-hmm. they've, they've had, like, their relationships have improved. Um, James, for example, the guy I was mentioning, he always talks about how his relationship with his two young boys is mm. so much better now because he's so much calmer and has more clarity and he's not as irritated the whole time. Um, so, it's, re- it's really transformative, as, as I'm sure Alcoholics Anonymous is. Oh yeah, massive. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I have nothing else to compare it to that I, you know, in terms of transformation or an important thing I've done in my life. Yeah. Um, when did you do, when did you do it, Anna? Well, I've been sober. Uh, November nineteenth, two thousand, is my sober date. Okay. But I, so it's it's a little over sixteen years. But I, um, before that, May second was my first sober date, and then I sort of thought on November eighteenth of two thousand. Maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Maybe I'm just a drug addict. And I went out that night and had uh, two bottles of wine and four and a half fits of ecstasy. And I thought, maybe there's something to this gateway drug ah. situation. And then, you know, I went back the next day. And then, about however long later, I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm a complete alcoholic. I just, <laughs> you know, was surrounded by what I was telling you these people, other people who drank the way I did, this belief yes. system. And uh, yeah, and, and, and that's it. That's, you know the life I currently live. Mm. Um, and do you do you sometimes look back on the way that you were and not even recognize that person, or do you still have a like a real connection to that person? I, that's a great question. I feel almost no identification. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. I was a chain smoker. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, I smoked half a pack. You did. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I mean, I think when you were talking about the Quentin Dream, it reminded me a little bit of this. Oh, this is what it was that your last, you know, drinking was these just these two Bombay, mm. um, Bombay Sapphire, Bombay Gin. Sapphires. Um, I remember the day I decided to quit smoking. 
I had smoked maybe four cigarettes that day and I worked at Premier Magazine and I had interviewed Selma Hayek earlier that day and she had just made this movie about Frida Kahlo and she told me she had to learn to smoke, but it was so gross that she never inhaled. I remember that was a conversation I had that day and I ended up going to a meeting. There's a 12-step program Mm. for for quitting cigarettes Mm. and I had no intention to quit. Mm. And uh, this woman, Carrie White, who's been on this podcast, um, asked me to meet her there and I, I never smoked again. Salma Hayek inspired you to never smoke But again. I didn't, yeah. I mean, she did. And she, you know, I didn't know that at the time. I was just like, I remember thinking like, wow, this is someone who's grossed out by smoking. Weird. I love smoking. I got two points on that. Yeah, please. Yours was a Salma Hayek experience. Yes. Um, I interviewed Bradley Cooper. Uh-huh. When he was promoting the movie The Hangover. Yep. Now, when I say interviewing, I used to be a film journalist. Mm-hmm. So before I became sports telecaster and, and entrepreneur, I was a film journalist. So I'd interview movie stars and mm-hmm. then sell the stories overseas. Anyway, I remember going down um, to what's that hotel down on La Cienega? Anyway, the, oh, the old SLS, like yes. what that was. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, and I, and I went into the room to interview Bradley Cooper, the, the movie star. And five minutes into the interview, I asked him. And by the t- by the way, this is when I was drinking. I hadn't yeah. quit yet. This yeah. is 2009, I think it was. I said, and what's your favorite drink? What's your favorite alcoholic drink? And he said, well, I haven't, I haven't drunk in like four years or five years. I said, what? Yeah. He said, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't drunk. I said, what? Nothing. Nothing at all. And I remember secretly thinking, God, this isn't someone I'd want to be friends with. Right, right. I'm like, who doesn't want to have a drink? Yeah, you know, like yeah. I, was, I had that whole Australian mateship kind of thing yeah. where it's like, oh, let's go and have a couple beers, mate. You know, yeah. I'll slap one another on the back and go, let's watch the sport and have a few drinks. I remember thinking, this guy's soft. Like you were like, oh, I thought he was going to be cool. Exactly. Exactly what right. it was. I thought he was going to be cool. And I was my, instinctively, I was thinking he wasn't cool. Just like I thought Chris Martin, who, who's the lead singer of Coldplay, was not cool when I realized that he didn't drink. I didn't I'm know like, he didn't drink. I'm like, Chris Martin, Bradley Cooper don't drink? Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, that was kind of like, I wouldn't say that was like a catalyst for me to rethink it, but after I had quit and I recalled that meeting with yeah. Bradley Cooper, I was like, now I get it. Yeah. Like, now I understand. And you look at Bradley Cooper, like he's a male god, right? Yeah. Like he's super ripped, he's tall, he's handsome, he's charming. Yeah. He's successful. And now I'm like, that's a great role model. Like I should have been- listening at that point and going oh he doesn't drink i should i should you know like follow that lead so that was curious and then what was the other what was the other point you were yeah didn't plan to quit that day oh yeah here's the thing one thing i realized um uh that really worked for me in staying quit because it's one thing to quit and there's another thing to stay quit right Mm -hmm. instead of saying to myself i'm not going to drink i shouldn't drink i'm not going to have a beer tonight i'm not going to have a wine tonight i changed my language to what I was going to do. Mm. So I changed it to I'm only drinking water tonight. Interesting. I only drink soda water tonight instead of I'm not going to have a beer yeah. or a wine tonight. So we've done these studies that show that if you tell the brain not to do something, what happens? You think about that very thing and you're more inclined to do that thing. But if you tell the brain to do something, then it's easier for your actions to actually do that thing. So when you were saying before, like, oh, I've got to quit smoking. When I quit smoking, I think that's actually the wrong thing to say. I think that smokers get it wrong when they say, I'm quitting smoking or I've quit smoking. Instead, why don't you say, I only ever breathe fresh air. Right. 
Because now you're telling the brain what to do. I only ever breathe fresh air. And, well, not if you live in Los Angeles and you inhale <laughs> smoke. I mean, smog, but, or pot smoke, as, as it mm. may be in Hollywood. But um, yeah, or even with smoking, I, I look at it as tomorrow I'm going to run. That's great as well. You know, I, I love that. I, um, what was I going to say about that? Yeah, well, I was thinking about how they say the universe doesn't know the difference between a worry and a hope. Mm. So, so anxiety can bring out what we don't want to happen if we're scared, if we're saying things to ourselves like, I always fail or I never get what I want. Mm. And that's an anxiety. Yeah. You will continue to manifest that. And that's, that's what you, what you just said reminded me of. Yeah. And, you, and all, all we're doing really is changing the, the vocabulary. We're changing yeah. the words around the story. Like if you're the type of person that says, <sighs> Life is hard. Yeah. Then life's going to be hard. Yeah. If you say, life is a party, woohoo, yeah. life is a party. Yeah. Then you're going to look at every opportunity yep. as an op opportunity to party. If you say, life is a gift. Yeah. Oh, it's so precious. Life is a gift. You're going to be walking around being grateful the whole time. Yeah. But look at, look at it. It's the same thing, right? Like life is something. Yeah. Whatever you tell yourself that it is, is is how you're going to act, which is why if you say, I'm going to quit smoking, it's really hard. It's, it's a tough time right now because I'm quitting smoking. Or you say, oh, I'm quitting smoking at the moment. Oh, man, this is tough. Well, first of all, you're using the word smoking, so you're thinking about smoking. And yeah. second of all, you're assigning a story to those words, which yeah. is it's tough. Yeah. But if we just change our vocabulary, it's like, oh, I only ever breathe in fresh air. Yeah. Oh, I love to breathe fresh air. Yeah. That gives you a completely different feeling. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm also really interested. I'm actually creating a new program related to taking steps towards relationship honesty, which is like first a relationship with yourself and then with other people. And it's focused on we all have a story we tell ourselves. Mm. you know, and a lot of these stories are negative, mm. you know, and sometimes it's, you know, I'm stupid or I'm smart or nobody likes me or everybody likes me or whatever it is. And really we have to break down that story. Mm. Um, you know, and it's funny cause I was having a conversation this very morning with somebody who said to me, um, God dating in LA. And I was like, well, you know what? I've lived in San Francisco and New York and I, and I've heard people say in each of those cities, Oh, it's, Dating in San Francisco is the worst. Dating in New York is the worst. And I'm like, you'll manifest that. I don't find that to be true. Mm. Whatever, you, whatever you tell yourself will, will, will happen. So yeah. if you have a choice of the story that you tell yourself, you might as well tell yourself a positive story. Tell yourself a happy story. I hear that all the time as well. Like, like I try to catch myself now. I'm not perfect at this. I'm not trying to pretend like I get this right all the time. But for example, as we're recording this now, it's it's – March, right? January and February in LA was a particularly rainy, wet, yep. wet months, weren't they? It was raining a lot. Yeah. It was cold. And I found myself waking up some mornings going, oh, it's raining. It's cold again. Yeah. yeah. And then I caught myself going, well, hang on, James, you're complaining, you're whining, and that's going to manifest into how you feel the whole day. So I played a little game. Whenever I said that to myself, I had to end the sentence with a positive. Mm. So when I caught myself, like, if I said, oh, it's raining again, I'd quickly go, which is great because California's had a drought for six years and we need lots of water to replenish the water supply. Yep. And yep. you just play this game, like you gamify it. Yeah. I don't think, we're, I, don't, I think you're always going to complain. I'm always going to complain. The listeners are always going to complain about something. But if we can like catch ourselves and try to complete that sentence of the complaint with a positive. Yep. 
we'll do it. Le- we'll complain less. I think that's true. I, you know, I remember I went to a life coach when I was writing my memoir, and he said to me, um, "If you stop uh, gossiping, complaining, and swearing." Your life is going to be tremendously different. And I remember I was like, I get the gossiping and complaining. We hear that in program and recovery, but swearing. And I was sort of offended by it. And then I did stop swearing. And now I do swear again. And I have noticed, sorry, life coach, absolutely no difference in the quality of my life. <laughs> but the gossiping and complaining, that's that's big. Massive. You make a, and, and, you know, in recovery, there's a strong suggestion many people give about mm-hmm. making gratitude lists. That's a big thing. I, yeah. I have a, I write in a, something called five minute journal every morning. Mm-hmm. You can check it out at five minute journal.com. Mm-hmm. And it asks you, I open it every morning and it says, what are three things that you're grateful for? Mm-hmm. And just full disclosure, let me share this before I get into that. The first thoughts that I have every morning when I wake up are negative. Mm. Like, I, I don't know why that is, but my personality is such that whenever my eyes open in the morning, I think I'm not enough. I don't make enough money. I don't have a wife. You'll always be single. You don't have kids. What are you doing living here in LA, in America? Maybe you should be back home in Australia. Like all your other friends your age are married and seemingly happy. You're not enough. Like why are you waking up in this West Hollywood apartment? Blah, 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 blah. Like those thoughts literally hit my brain first thing in the morning. And I used to let that get me down. Mm -hmm. uh, And that would just move into the day. And so, I'd move slowly. I'd like- I'd just be like, yeah, whatever. Since I got that five-minute grat- five journal, uh, I get up, I open up the book, I sit at my kitchen table, and I force myself. I literally, this is when I do have to use willpower. I force myself to pick up a pen and answer the questions, which are what are three things that you're most grateful for? And the answers usually range from I'm grateful for living in California. Yeah. I always dreamed of. I'm grateful that my mother and father are both healthy and alive. I'm grateful that I'm running, I'm building a business with my younger brother, Tristan. I'm grateful for the fact that I got invited to a poker night last night and mm. that I connected with friends of mine and I met new friends. Mm. I'm grateful that people actually even care about what I have to say enough to invite me to come on their podcast. Mm. I'm grateful, 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 grateful. And sometimes I'm really struggling. I'll look out and I'll go, I'm grateful for the clouds in yep. the sky. I'm grateful for that palm tree that I see. And that completely and utterly gets me out of that cycle of depressive thoughts in the morning yep. and into one of, all right, let's get going. Let's go. Yeah. So, gratitude is hugely, hugely, hugely powerful in just rewiring our brain, even though my natural state is probably one to go to depressive, thought, depressive yeah. thoughts. Well, those I think are the people that need it the most. Because if you're just one of those happy-go-lucky people, then what you don't need to be told. You wake up and you're like, ha, the sun. It's a good argument for getting out of bed quickly. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Get out and change your state. Like, Well, we so have to wrap up. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other things you have to offer. Right now, we are wearing your glasses. Mm. Tell, tell the listeners about those. Well, Anna is looking very stylish, I very. have to say. She's wearing a pair of blue light blocking glasses, which have an orange lens. And what these glasses do is that they protect your eyes from the artificial blue light that is emitted from your electronic displays in your cell phone, in your iPad, in your computer screen, and in your TV. The problem in today's society is that there is too much light at night. Mm. And too much light at night is hitting our pituitary glands, um, which keeps us alert and awake, which makes it harder for us to fall asleep. 
mm. which means we toss and turn in the night, and which means when we wake up feeling tired, even after seven or eight hours, it's probably because we were exposing ourselves to too much light at night. So what these glasses do is you wear these glasses at nighttime, an hour before you go to sleep. The orange lens blocks out that artificial blue light. Your body's able to naturally produce melatonin, which is the hormone that makes you sleepy and which helps you have a deep um, restorative sleep. Uh, and so, therefore, you're able to fall asleep quicker. You don't toss and turn in the night and you wake up feeling nice and, and refreshed. So, Anna's rocking them. She looks very stylish. I'm going to wear – well, so why are we wearing them and it's not an hour before bed? Because wearing them all day is good too. Wear, you, ca you can wear them all day if you choose. Mm -hmm. The main benefit to these are using them as a sleep aid an yeah. hour before sleep. However, if you're on your computer for long periods of time, yeah. you, get, you get eye strain, right? Like, yeah. you, like you get fatigued. So what I do is I put these glasses on sporadically throughout the day. So I'll put them on for like 10 or 15 minutes just to give myself some relief from staring at a screen all day. Then I'll take them off for a couple of hours, put them down. Mm -hmm. And then later on when I'm starting to get tired again, I'll put the glasses on. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, I get a lot more clarity, a lot more focus. I can work better. I can be more productive. So, And you can also wear them as a sunglass if you like. There's 100% UV protection. I don't personally use them as a sunglass. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do. Mm -hmm. It's just personal preference on how you like the view through the lens really and how can people get these if you go to swanwicksleep.com the name mm -hmm. of the company is swanwick sleep um you can check them out there and uh yeah i mean if you if you have trouble sleeping and your sleep's not or sleep is not as good as it could be maybe you're exposing yourself to too much light a couple free things you can do download the um flux called f dot L-U-X, and you can download that on your, on your computer. And what that will do is that at nighttime, it will automatically reduce the brightness level of your computer, which means you're exposed to less of that blue light. If you have an, if you have an iPhone, there is a setting in, the, in some of the latest versions called um, Night Shift. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you um, turn that on, your iPhone will naturally reduce that blue light brightness level as the as you go into the nighttime that can help a lot if you have a samsung phone you can use i think it's called twilight mm. same thing it reduces the brightness level uh, and those things are great um but it doesn't prevent you from getting blue light from the television screen or your bathroom light your kitchen light your alarm clock light which is where putting on a pair of blue light blocking glasses whether they're they're mine or whether they're another company's just make sure you protect yourself because if you're not sleeping well then your whole life can be pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, I cannot thank you enough for coming to do this. And um, is there anything else you want to add? No, other than just thank you very much for having me on the show, Anna. And um, I don't want to – this is this is a, a very crude comment that I'm about to make. In Australia, we say, uh, I'm going to blow smoke up your ass, which means I'm going to like heap – We say it here too. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Well, I don't want to blow too much smoke up your ass, but you're doing a wonderful thing helping people. And I'm sure listening to episodes – not not because I'm here, but like all the other people really help inspire people to be better in their life. So congratulations and thank you for the good positive energy you put out into the world. Well, I mean, right back at you. <laughs> so what a brilliant note to end on. So this was James Swan. Is it Swanwick? It's pronounced Swanwick. That's what I thought. And yeah. then you threw me with the glasses. Yeah. You know what? The thing, here's the thing. When people... When you say when when someone says, "Oh, where can they find the the yeah. glasses?" and you, if I say Swanick Sleep, someone yeah. will go in and type it in, and they won't find it because it's spelled S W A N W I C K. You should buy that domain and redirect. 
Not a bad you see, idea. This is great. I should hire you as my business mentor. Seriously, I didn't seriously. Think of that. That's great. Thank you. Um, well, uh, you have been listening to Recover Girl, the podcast formerly known as After Party Pod, and this was my lovely guest, James Swanick. But don't look it up that way. Until then, I'll see you next time. Here's a secret. If you like this episode, you can get show notes, sometimes even transcripts of it. Just go to recovergirlnewsletter.com and sign up.